Semantic satiation is when a word is used so often it loses its force of meaning or meaning altogether. Think of the word awesome. Not too complicated. By definition, when something is awesome, it is causing or inducing awe, inspiring an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, or fear. By definition, it would be a rare occurrence. By our extensive use of the word, we have made it anything but. God is awesome. And I'm not sure attaching awesome to the latest movie, new car, hockey game, book you've read, or whatever belongs in the same category. Today we begin a section on rhythms that lead to life in which we are going to focus on a Christian term that has perhaps lost its meaning from overuse and or familiarity or even misuse. It's the word gospel. And given we have gospel music, gospel choirs, gospel t-shirts, books in the Bible called, go called gospels, Gnostic gospels, a gospel coalition, books entitled The Hole in Our Gospel, The Explicit Gospel. Yeah, maybe it would be good to define what it means answering the question to another book entitled, What is the Gospel? I think that might be important, especially when you consider the significance the Bible places on it. How would you answer that question? What is the Gospel? Gospel. My hope today is to somehow recover the meaning of this word and our engagement with it, especially when you see its place of prominence in the early church. We can see this is a story to believe and a story in which to live. And before we define the gospel, let's look at how it is described in Scripture. The Christian leader Paul writes this about the gospel as he thinks about taking its message to Italy in Romans chapter 1. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says to the Romans, I can't wait to tell you something. I want to preach the gospel to you. Now, obviously, there must be something in the message that causes offense because Paul feels it is necessary to say that he is not ashamed of it, but he isn't, and neither should we. Should we be? For, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Power of God. There are certain experiences with nature that makes you realize how small and powerless you are in comparison to creation's power. I have some vivid memories of that like a storm in the Florida coast with the waves pounding on the shore, so high and hard, it, it scared me to stand on the shore there. I recall fishing on the coastal waters on the Jervis Inlet in British Columbia, by myself on a 12-foot aluminum boat on calm waters, when I heard this crackling sound like dynamite, which signaled the release of a boulder on the bordering mountain. Like, it was so large, it seemed to me like the size of a house. And I saw it crashing down the mountainside into the waters below. Though I was, like, I was far enough away not to be harmed by it. But my heart raced as adrenaline was released in my body to protect, leaving me shaking. That was powerful. But these are created things. And to the Creator, small. God is powerful, and his gospel is declared to be of that magnitude unto salvation, the power of God. You see how in 1 Timothy, Paul describes the gospel in the highest way. As he is talking about the way in which the previous Old Testament law can be good, it is when it is in alignment or, or accordance with the gospel, not just any gospel, he calls it the glorious gospel. 
Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Then he goes on to say, in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which we have been entrusted. Like awesome, we may use terms flippantly, but God does not. When the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of God's word, each word is there purposefully. Here the gospel is described as glorious, and that is a loaded term. In the scriptures, glory is typically reserved only for God. God's glory was a, a term to convey the weightiness of all that God is, the sum, the, the accumulation of his power, his attributes, his character, his accomplishments. You, you get a certain like weight of glory. It's heavy. And in that light, by comparison, only God is glorious. That his gospel is described in the same way should tell us something of its immense value, which is why Paul talks about his calling as being entrusted with it. The gospel is precious. The gospel is glorious. The gospel is powerful. How precious, how glorious, how powerful is it to you? And if it is not that in our lives, perhaps we have not understood its truth. You can see what is the gospel is a very important question. So we will define it, but one more thing first. Let's determine who is the gospel for? See, for much of my Christian life, when I heard the word gospel, I, I just assumed it was a message about Jesus that those who did not have faith in him needed to hear. The gospel is for unbelievers and altar calls. You are only preaching the gospel when you do that by inviting the unsaved to repent of their ways and, and turn by faith to Jesus. And once a person believes, well, you, you then go on to some sort of deeper teaching, whatever that is. But let's look again at the intro to the scripture in Romans 1, we have already read, made famous by Martin Luther. He says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Well, who is Paul eager to preach the gospel to? Well, he tells us earlier in the letter, listen to verses 7 and 8. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul wants to proclaim the gospel to believers. Did you see that? To believers whose faith is so admirable that it has been heard like throughout the known world. They need to hear the gospel again. The gospel is precious, glorious, and powerful, not just to start us on our journey with Jesus, but to take us through that journey with Jesus. For the rest of our lives, we grow in our relationship with God by understanding and growing in the gospel to deeper and deeper levels. Let me repeat that. For the rest of our lives, we grow in our relationship with God by understanding and growing in the gospel to deeper and deeper levels. Whether you have faith in Jesus or maybe you're watching Exploring Jesus, we need to know what the gospel is. Here we go. In English, the word gospel means good news or glad tidings. In Greek, the language of the New Testament, the gospel is the word euangelion, from which we get English words like evangelist or evangelical. Contextually, first century Jews who looked for the promised David-like king awaited for the announcement of the good news of the Messiah's arrival. And in the same way, first century Romans and Greeks understood glad tidings to be an announcement of a king's victory or a, or a new monarch's ascension to rule. The Christian gospel, then, is the announcement of glad tidings in the person of Jesus Christ. 
That is why the apostles are most often said to proclaim or to preach or declare the gospel. The gospel is not good advice. It is the good news of Jesus and his arrival and the inauguration of his kingdom and rule. It is to be received, not earned. In Mark's gospel, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good news demands repentance and faith, but these are responses to the gospel, not the gospel itself. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom, and that is the rule and reign of Jesus. And having lived among us, that rule and reign is established in the most unusual way, through death, but a death that makes way for Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Through this very pivotal moment in history, Jesus conquered sin, conquered Satan, and conquered death so that in him the gospel truly is good news. But to understand that more fully, just how good news this really is, you need the whole story. And we touched on that last week. The gospel is a story, God's story. Scholar John Stott has said, today's world needs a bigger gospel, the, the full gospel of Scripture, what Paul later in Ephesus was to call the whole purpose of God. In Mark chapter 1, when Jesus says, the time is at hand, what did he mean? <laughs> the time is at hand? This only makes sense if you know the story that comes before. You ever walked into a movie or, or joined some friends who are watching a Netflix halfway through? Or just watch the latest Star Wars movie without having watched the previous ones. And because you have no context, you may grasp part of what's going on, but you miss a whole lot. You miss a whole lot, including with Star Wars, it's Anthem. Speaking from experience, sorry all you Star Wars fans, it does not grip you. When Jesus said, the time is at hand, he is pointing to the fact that his coming and what he is doing is part of a great history leading up to that pivotal moment. There is no gospel without the life of Jesus, who he is and his ensuing death, his resurrection and his ascension. That is the pivotal chapter. But this pivotal chapter is part of a story that goes all the way back to Genesis. Summarized, from the beginning, God created humanity in his image. He, he created us to have dominion over the earth. That is kingdom language. And we were to be co-rulers with God under God's authority, extending his rule throughout the world. But tempted by a serpent, or our representative Adam chose to rebel against God's rule to establish his own. Like he said, I'll do it my way. And this sent our world into a downward spiral, infected by sin, separated from God, focused on self, which leads to violence and, and a world constantly bent on making a mess. This still rings true, doesn't it? Instead of a world of only good, it becomes a world whose good is constantly tarnished by evil. You know, God could have started over and I suppose done things differently in a number of ways, like taken away human freedom, created mankind 2.0. But instead, God enacts a reclamation project beginning with a man named Abraham, who will become a nation called by God to be blessed in order to bring God's blessing to others. All of this is in the Old Testament. And as you read through it, you see how that nation Israel fails and fails, repeatedly going through the cycles of forgetting God, rebelling against God, and paralleled with their experience of evil from without, think like Russia invading Ukraine, and evil from within, power, abuse of power, intrigue, violence, 
Seldom are things right. But in the midst of that, there is this consistent prophetic promise that one day it will be made right. And this rightness is something that all of us yearn for. And the promise of it is in a person. The hope of Israel will come bringing the kingdom of God. That's the context to the time is at hand. Announcement, arrival, Jesus is bringing the kingdom. And this is where the story gets utterly remarkable and beyond beautiful. Jesus, the promised rescuer, is none other than God himself who becomes one of us, not clinging to his power as God, but humbling himself to become one of us, stooping to be human, born as a baby in a feeding trough to a humble family of a despised town, Nazareth. Ultimately, he will exercise his royalty by submitting himself to pain and persecution, dying on a cross for our sins, taking our punishment, mine, yours, so that God is both just and the justifier of all and everyone who puts their trust in Jesus, Romans 3.26. The story isn't finished. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, but its fullness is yet to come. And this is why we are still living in the mixture. There's good, there's evil, but he is returning. He's gone to get things ready for us. And when he comes, justice. Those who have rejected him will get their just reward, wrath, and a life separated from God and his goodness. And those who believe in him, Jesus will welcome them into a new heaven, a new earth prepared for us, wherein the believers will live forever in his kingdom where evil and pain and death are done away with. Take a moment to think about where you stand in this story. Imagine it to be true, real. I'm staking my life on the fact that it is. Listen to the stories of our culture. You can see the themes of the gospel portrayed again and again. It, it resonates with us. One of the most popular book series ever, Harry Potter, with all its wizardry and magic, not, not practices approved in scripture, but author J.K. Rowling openly admits she used the storylines of the Bible. In a book called Echoes of the Gospel and Harry Potter, Pastor Clay Myatt talks about three gospel things that, that stand out. Love, sacrificial love with the power of shed blood. Have we heard of that before? Death as the last enemy to be destroyed. Have we heard of that before? In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 is even quoted. Resurrection. The hero of the story defeats death by giving his life away to a killing curse only to find himself alive. As Myatt puts it, in the final chapter of the book, the echoes of the gospel become shouts. The beautiful, gripping story of the gospel is written into our humanity. We hope for a better future because there is one. We lament death and pain and suffering because in the beginning, we were not created to live in such a world. We long for rescue because we were made by the one who came to rescue. We yearn for life because eternal life is what God offers in Jesus Christ. You know, there are those who believe that there is nothing beyond what we see. This is all there is. There is no all-encompassing story. But we cannot help ourselves in some way hoping and living like it is true. The gospel, an announcement, a story. Let's define it further now, but as I do, understand there is no one right definition of the gospel. There are elements that need to be emphasized without which there is no gospel. Jesus, his death and resurrection as an example. 
But even Paul himself uses different words to summarize the gospel. In 2 Timothy 2, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Let me give you two further definitions of the gospel, and sort of like Paul, one short and one long. The gospel. The gospel is the story of what God has done in Jesus Christ. The gospel. Although mankind rebelled against God, our creator, the gospel is the good news story of God's extravagant love to reconcile and restore the world to himself through the life, death, and bodily resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus, God forgives our sins, making us a new people empowered by God's spirit to live in his kingdom, escaping the coming wrath, and living as God's community with him both now and forever, just as he promised. As a believer, this is not only a story to know, it is a story to believe. And when you believe it, it becomes a story to live. It's not like we take bits and pieces of it and then add it to our plate. It's, it's more like we, we clip ourselves onto the story, onto the storyline of God, which takes us to our future destination. By the gospel, we enter the kingdom. By the gospel, we grow in the kingdom. By the gospel, we are transformed for the kingdom. The movement in the story we call the gospel is sometimes summarized by words like creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And as we immerse ourselves in the story, all these elements impact how we live. I want to show you this from Scripture, Colossians chapter 3, and then illustrate it from my own personal life. So stay with me. This is how we live it out. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Paul tells us a number of things to do, doesn't he? And in case you miss them, let me highlight them for you. Like, we're to, we're to seek the things that are above. We're to set our mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And there's certain things that we need to put to death. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and, and covetousness. And there's things that we are to put away. Anger and 
wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from our mouths. And then there's things that we are to put on in verse 12. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We're to bear with one another. And we are to forgive one another. It's a pretty tall order, isn't it? We are clearly called to live a certain way. And we could think that Christianity is some kind of legalistic do's and don'ts, looking at this in that perspective, but that is only when we see ourselves disconnected from the gospel story. Now let me highlight to you how Paul weaves in the truths of the story as the compelling reasons for how we live. Let's look at the passage again. Why are we to seek things that are above? Well, Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, we're to set our minds on things above because we are dead and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, your, your life, you will also appear with him in glory. Paul refers to the resurrection. He refers to the ascension. He refers to the second coming of Jesus. Why should we put things to death? Well, because there is a wrath of God that is coming. And we used to walk in those things, but that's not who we are. We don't lie to one another because we've put off those old self, the old self with its practices. Paul is reminding us that in the gospel, we, we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. And we're, we're, we're new creations, and we've put on the new self, and it's being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul thinks all the way back to the beginning. God, our creator, who's created us new, where there's neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. And Paul reminds us again, we've put things on because of who we are, God's chosen ones. We are holy and beloved. That is our identity, and why should we forgive? Because God, the Lord, has forgiven us. Throughout Paul's instructions, he has reminded believers to live in accordance with what is true because of the gospel. Paul has the whole story in mind. Did you see it? He refers to creation, to the fall, Christ's death and resurrection, the return of Jesus, the, the coming judgment, and our eternal life of glory with Jesus. For believers, when we get what the gospel tells us is true about God, how he's dealt with our past, with us and our present, his plans for our future, what is true about us, who he has made us to be, it is such good news. We cannot be helped to be gripped by it and so live. Hey, there's so much noise around. Let the gospel have the loudest voice in shaping your relationship with God. How you see yourself, what you seek, what you hope for, what you dream about. Every day and at all times, preach the gospel to yourself and live. Here's how it's played out in my own life. In failure. You know, as much as I believe in this story of God and, and I want to live by it, I don't always give God first priority in my life and I often don't live the way he wants me to. And when I mess up, I'm tempted to get down on myself and want to prove myself worthy to God somehow by doing better. I'm tempted to think, you know, I have to string together a number of days of living right, whatever that is, before I can feel good about myself and my relationship with God. But when I think on the gospel and I let it sink in and believe the good news, I see that my rightness with God is already accomplished in Jesus. His forgiveness does not have to be earned by stringing together good behavior. There's a freedom to, to come to him immediately. And as I say sorry, which is what you do in relationship, I know he doesn't reject me, but he forgives so we can have a restored relationship. The gospel breaks 
an unhealthy pattern for me. In criticism, you know, you enter leadership wanting to do good for people and see God do great things. But leadership requires making decisions, and even when you make them to the best of your ability and wisdom and collaboration, it is inevitable that you will disappoint. And some will let you know, and some do, do that kindly, but not all. Thinking on the gospel helps me on so many levels. Sometimes you want to rock your critics, but God's story shows me that what he has forgiven me is infinitely greater than what I need to forgive someone else for. And the gospel also helps me with my identity here too. Cesar Kalinowski says in his book, The Gospel Primer, who we believe ourselves to be is shaped by the dominant story in our life. Though I am criticized, when the gospel dominates my thinking, I know my worth is based on how God sees me, holy and beloved, and not on my approval ratings. I can receive criticism in a healthy way because my value is not at stake. I do not feel like my identity is being threatened and I need to defend it. I can listen and discern because of the gospel. In death, when my wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer, the eternal realities and what happens after death became so much more real. Like, is there a hope beyond? Because I believed in the resurrection, Jesus, the first fruits, risen from the dead, it lifted me up beyond the pain and disappointment, knowing because of my relationship with Jesus, this is not the end. I will join my wife and all others in Christ in a life with Jesus with only good to look forward to. The gospel gave me eternal hope in the midst of pain, and it still does. And the gospel also gave me a purpose that transcend, and transcends this loss of my best friend and, and really an amazing person. I thought I believed the gospel, but now I know I believe it. There's a greatest reason to live that supersedes everything, even the good life with a great partner. And that purpose is God and his glory revealed to us in the gospel. As I was putting this together, I realized with tears that the reason I am relatively whole, the reason I'm standing, the reason I feel fired up with purpose, the reason I feel so much love from God, and at times for others that I could hardly contain it, is because of the gospel. It is precious. It is glorious. It is the power of God unto salvation. Tell yourself the gospel, this, this announcement, this story from the beginning to end. Preach the gospel to yourself every day and at all times. Make that a rhythm in your life and really live.